For today's Inside the Walls podcast episode, it is the continuation of our very rich conversation with Colin D. Lord. So sit back and take a listen to the rest of the conversation. That's why the work at Three Walls is so important to try and demystify that and not just fine arts, but art in general, right? We know that art is for many folk a very social endeavor that is also connected to class, connected to wealth. And the reality is some the best work that happens is actually not inside museums or commercial galleries. And we know this through Three Walls. I want to pick up on something that you said in terms of the mentors for this, uh, the conference telling you fall back until like next year. One of the things that I am really mindful of is that mindset. It doesn't mean that it's not valuable uh, some of the time, but I think particularly for Black folk, we get told that a lot. We always get told that we're not ready. And when I see someone who is talented and can step up to the plate, I'm trusting that you're ready. You just don't know that you're ready. And so around that time, you're like, I'm going to decline. I talked you into becoming vice president, (laughs) (laughs) which was comfortable and still very much an important role at the organization as a board member. And, you know, that was also during a time where the board was going through, I would say, seismic shifts in terms of some of the former board members really coming to terms with the fact that this is not just optics. We are fully committing to being that organization that practices racial inclusion and equity. And to to your point, what you said earlier, there are so many arts organizations that have the beautifully written diversity statement and inclusion statement, but never practice it, right? It lands on the website. It's probably like three or four pages down. And so it is rare for an arts organization to embody it unapologetically. And that made a lot of folks uncomfortable. And so it probably would have been that much more challenging as board president to kind of steward, but you were helping to steward anyway, behind the scenes, helping me with having conversations with folk, um, (laughs) difficult conversations with folk. You also organized the half day retreat that we had on anti-racism. And that was eye-opening for so many reasons. Yeah. There were folks who all of a sudden fully got it and quite frankly, continue to practice it and take a step back, which is wonderful. That's the whole point of not just the training, but the organization. And then there were some who were like, yo, I'm not down with this. I'm out. (laughs) Right. And then there were some who were really uncomfortable and probably continue to move through that discomfort. And because of that, exited the organization. But you were a partner in that. And I can't thank you enough for it because I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. I appreciate that. When you laid out, you just laid out the different reactions to the training. So the the, the facilitator for the training, her name is Dr. Amanda Lewis. She's a professor of sociology 
and she works, uh, she focuses in education at um, UIC. And I've known Amanda for a little over two decades. And she's a non-confrontational, most reasonable, most, you know, and that was one of the reasons why um, mm-hmm. um, I thought she'd be a good fit because she lives to work, who she is as a person. And I knew that what she would bring to the table would be valuable, but it would also, I thought, be reasonable for folks who are at different stages of the journey. <laughs> and still, yes. you know, you got the, uh, but it is what it is. You know, um, it is what it is. The work has to be done. And I think that we constantly use these these phrases and so on, like eating into discomfort and all this good stuff. But, you know, I just think it's amazing that you've got some people that are leaning into discomfort 24-7 based on their race, class, gender, sexual orientation, whatever the case may be, and asking some folks to lean into discomfort for, you know, for a morning. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's just, it's just amazing that you would get those types of reactions sometimes. But I, I granted, I've been a diversity practitioner for a long time. I enjoy those, those opportunities. You know, when I do get to the gym, it's not often, but when I do get to the gym, you work out and you feel sore the next day. But when you feel, that means there's been progress. I feel like, you know, feeling that emotional soreness or what have you um, after a diversity uh, workshop, like that should tell you like, yeah, that you've got something out of it. You're better for it. Absolutely. And it was exciting to finally be at that place where we could sit and have this half day retreat and commit to it not just being the only one. The plan was to have two additional workshops, right? But because of the discomfort, the strong discomfort that came out of it, we weren't even able to get to the other ones. Mm -hmm. And that discomfort really, the morale on the board was awful. And so it's also, there are folks who, as you said, to sit through discomfort for a few hours, right? where many of us, we have to navigate discomfort every single day because of who we are, was really telling. And it says a lot also about folks who, because I'm uncomfortable, you got to be uncomfortable too. Until one of us, right, separates. So that was an interesting period in the organization. But I also know that it was really impactful on many of the um, board members. For sure. So with that, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about over the years is the challenge of me being a Black woman leadership and all that comes with it. And, you know, I very publicly, unapologetically state, because I think it's really important that not only am I a Black woman, but, you know, I'm a darker skinned woman. I have full lips, broad nose, and I wear a fade. So I can't be mistaken for anything but black, right? I don't want to, but I. you look at me, it's what it is. Um, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, I have full lips, I'm darker skin, I have a fade. In other words, I am gorgeous. I thought, I thought, I thought that's what I mean, I'm that too. <laughs> 
I'm that too. But what that really means in the art world where so many of, uh, and especially in Chicago, we don't talk about colorism enough and how it rears its ugly head in the city and in the art world and around philanthropy and how that also shows up when leading an organization um, and the expectations that are put onto Black women in leadership to mother and to take on everyone else's burden. So with that, can you talk about why it's important to support not just a Black-led arts organization, but Black women in leadership? I remember reading something a long time ago, and they were talking about you know, women in leadership in general and the, the, the fact that because there weren't many opportunities or as many opportunities as should be for women, you basically are emitting half of the population. Right. And, you know, that spoke to me, you know, again, being a diversity practitioner, because I start from a point where I believe that the more that you include people and you include different types of people, that organization, that entity, whatever it is, is going to be more dynamic. It's just going to be more impressive. The research is out there. McKinsey and everyone else has done research out there to support that. Mm-hmm. But it's so amazing because even though the research is out there, People just can't get out of the way of their own um, bigotry and everything else um, to let that happen. And I just feel that everyone brings their experiences to the table. And when you have any group that is absent, that doesn't have a voice, then I think that as a whole, whether whether it be the arts or community in general or society in general, we're losing out, we're missing out on excellence. Um, because that excellence is going to ultimately be replaced with mediocrity of some kind. And I do think that on a very fundamental level, it's important to have people like you in leadership roles, because the more we have people like you in leadership roles, the more that image will be normalized. It'll never be 100, because there's always going to be a group that's going to push back. But I really think that it's important because... I think that ideally we want to get to a place where Dr. J can just be the ED for the organization and not always have to worry about bringing certain parts of your identity to the table and how that might reflect. And it's so interesting because I was having a conversation over dinner with a college friend of mine, um, and we were talking about um, uh, President Obama and our current vice president. You know, his whole thing was, President Obama was the first black president, so he had to tread lightly. And I had a, I had a different perspective. <laughs> um, I bet that. you did. I had a different perspective. <laughs> right? um, and again, I'm not, I'm not begrudging um, you know, President Obama for, for what he did and how he did it, because ultimately, um, I think when you talk about like the definition of statesman, like he was it, mm-hmm. right? Like I, you, I don't think you can point to many times he slipped up in terms of speeches or, um, you know, like, like he was it, but then there's the policy side, right? And um, I think you can most definitely critique, critique him on that end. And I think a lot of times he was looking at things through how will people respond if I make this decision because I'm a black president, right? Um, white presidents don't have to think about that. And 
And I also pointed out that, you know, uh, Vice President Harris, you know, I've seen her in um, situations where that sister comes out. And so when the vice president debate was coming up, I, I, I had my popcorn and everything. I couldn't wait to see her dismantle this dude from Indiana. And like, it really never happened. And you know, a lot of people argue that, you know, she didn't want to come off like the angry black woman. And my reaction is, she got a right to be angry. Like, you know, if you're not angry, then, then there's something wrong with you, you know? Um, and so I do see the importance of your position in terms of hopefully how um, other young Black women and women of color will aspire and see that that is a possibility. But I do hope that we get to a point, you know, and unfortunately you're a trailblazer, so you got, you got to kick the lumps for everyone else <laughs> after you. But, you know, I, I hope that we get to a point where people in your position, people like you in your position, can focus solely on the work or at least focus less on how things are going to be received because of your identity. I and hope the day comes when we can, when, when gender and, and, and sexual orientation and race and all those things just don't matter. Right. And I'm totally there with you. And in the beginning, I was very much that Black woman who, okay, I'm in this position at a predominantly white institution. I have to tread lightly but there was a switch that happened. There were two things that happened. I went to Cairo probably six months in for an arts festival, a like performing arts festival. And I was just actually recounting this story with an artist earlier this week. When I went, it was at the height of rioting and protesting in Cairo and artists were being jailed for being artists. And when I went and was learning more about what it actually takes to be an artist in a country where you are silenced by either being thrown out of the space, your home, and put into jail, I was like, some of the things we deal with in the U.S. in terms of the arts community, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to these folks across the world who are literally putting their lives on the line for art and to give voice. I came back and I was like, you know what? I just got to, I have to be who I am and I can no longer tiptoe in this community. And particularly in this, specifically in this community, in this role. As a curator, I'm very much known as someone who does not tiptoe. I've always spoken publicly, but it's, you know, it was very different coming into a leadership role in the organization as it was. So, that was a moment. And then it was also Devin saying, one, you don't have to tell us everything. Like you are the ED, do what you need to do. And also say what you need to say. We got you or he had me. Cause again, this was a different board when I entered last summer going through what I went through with Moco North Miami around the Afrocobra show and the publication. I spoke with you. I spoke with uh, three other board members, all of y'all were like, you say your piece and we got you because that's also part of my leadership at the organization. And so if I'm not speaking out 
about an injustice that's happened to me with a curatorial project with another institution that is also an injustice to Black artists, then what am I doing in my leadership at the organization? So I am no longer kind of tiptoeing. And I do think it has impacted, I know it's impacted um, Black women in the field because they tell me. (laughs) But admittedly, they're also not in positions quite yet where they can be as free. So they're doing, they're speaking in the way that they can until they get to that place. And there is a privilege. And I recognize that. I have a privilege in not only my position, but my credentials and all of that, that I can speak and not be overly concerned with the ramifications. And that is the beauty, I think, also at Three Walls is inviting folks in to develop that muscle of being unapologetic, but also being thoughtful about the impact of that. So as we close, what are your hopes for the organization? What I was going to say, I I hope that the organization um, gets increased funding and so on, but you are well on the way of doing that. So, uh, you know, you're making my host reality. Kudos to you, Dr. J. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So, when I started engaging three walls and uh, and I started thinking I started thinking about the possibility of being a board member, one of the reasons why I followed through on that was, as I mentioned before, I've been doing um, the work for quite some time, and I felt like we were in the space and in the place as a society that was um, incredibly disturbing. In my experience, artists have always been the ones to lead the charge in speaking truth to power and also serving as therapy for our community. And so it was one of those things where I just felt like this makes absolute sense. Um, If I wanna do something of significance, this is the place to do it. Um, an organization that supports emerging artists that um, that are oftentimes on the margins and they're doing the type of work that our society, our communities need to see and be exposed to. I think that that reasoning that I had four years ago is still very appropriate, um, still very relevant. And so I hope that Three Walls continues to support emerging artists the way that it has so that the story can be told. One of the things I've told people as I try to recruit board members um, for Three Walls is I tell people all the time that I've worked in some very impressive places in terms of how they support diversity, how they try to provide access, um, of course, a better chance this is what we do. And um, I felt like, um, you know, the folks at Hampton College, just a special type of place. It was a very welcoming place for me. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but there were times it showed that I just would step back and go, this place, besides being on power, this place is a pretty great place in terms of um, how we um, would support diversity and so on and so forth. But I always tell people, Uh, No matter where you've worked and what type of institutions um, 
he's worked in. If you really want to see what true equity and access and what true um, um, diversity looks like in terms of being in, being, um, in the fabric of organization, you need to match the three walls. We're still on the journey. Um, you've not hit that ideal yet, but I've never seen any organization where the organization has been so thoughtful and so consistent in making sure that they do what they say they're going to do um, in terms of um, issues around you know, social justice, equity, and access and diversity. It's just been rewarding and refreshing. And I guess for me, three walls going forward, and I told you this before, I hope that you tell the story so people can hear it. I hope you show people what you've done so they can see it and hopefully try to replicate it. Because I think that when it comes to this type of work, that three walls is the gold standard. And so, um, and again, I've seen a lot of different places. <laughs> um, and so, um, kudos to you and your vision on you know, making three walls uh, go from being another one of them to being the one. Thank you, so. Colin. You're very I'm welcome. not going to cry on this podcast. You had me <laughs> crying last month during the board mem meeting when you stepped down. We're not going to do it on the podcast, Tears but I'll joy. cry Tears after. Tears of joy. Tears of joy. <laughs> that's, um, I mean, really, that's all it is these days is, is really tears of joy. Um, thank you. You've been part of that work. And I have also told you that um, the work would not have rooted in the way that it has if you were not part of the board. And bringing a fresh perspective, a relevant perspective that is actually outside of the arts, that is absolutely connected to who we are as an organization. And being the board member that understands your role is to advocate for the organization, to support the mission, and to support the ED. It's not about making my job harder. It's about making my job easier. And that is doing what you did. So we deeply appreciate all that you have done. And you are always part of the Three Walls family, even though right Thank now you. you're taking a hiatus from board membership. I'll be back. Um, God willing, yes. I'll be back. <laughs> so we're going to close. Thank you so much for making time. Always love talking with you, Colin. And you know, give my love to the family. Absolutely. And that's it for today. So until next time. To learn more about our work at Three Walls, you can follow us at our website, www.tree-walls.org. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore T-H-R-E-E-W-A-L-L-S underscore. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Now, while you are on our website, please feel free to sign up for our newsletter where we share more intimate details about the work we're doing, opportunities that are coming up, and sharing out knowledge. If you're enjoying our 
podcast, Inside the Walls, please take a moment to hit subscribe on your podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a comment. And also, don't forget to share with your friends.